work in our hearts and help us to love you more. I pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As we look at this passage, and we're going to get into it right away, I want us to really focus on certain verses. I'm going to call them out as we read it. So if you could pay specific attention to these verses as we go through, um, it'll just make it a lot easier for us to understand as we look at the context of this thing that happens in this passage. Let's begin reading Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And the Bible says here, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went down into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, okay, interesting description, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment <clears throat> and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Let's just take a few seconds and let's just think about that. Okay, there's a lot of strange things going on already. Number one, the fact that a Pharisee would invite Jesus to come eat at his house. Okay, we'll see later that this Pharisee's name, his name is Simon. Okay, Simon the Pharisee. This is strange because, of course, we know the Pharisees, they hated Jesus. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to see him gone. And the only other Pharisee we hear of having any interest at all with Jesus at all, Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he comes to him by night. He doesn't want to be seen fraternizing with Jesus. He doesn't want to be seen seeking counsel from Jesus. He's afraid. He comes by night. But this Pharisee, he invites him for dinner. There's a lot of other people here too. Hmm. Interesting. Even more interesting, this woman, we know from the other Gospels, her name's Mary. This woman in the city, Luke describes her. And it's very interesting. He says, and a woman in the city, which was a sinner. Now, we know that everyone, you know, of course, excluding Jesus Christ, every human being, is a sinner. The reason why Luke points this out, which was a sinner, he's pointing out, like, we're all sinners? From a human standpoint, she was a sinner. She was bad. She, was, she did not have the greatest reputation. She was someone that you wouldn't really find in a Pharisee's house. But she's here. When she heard... That Jesus was there. She comes in. And she doesn't just come in empty handed. She comes in with an alabaster box of ointment. We find from the other gospels that that's not a, an inexpensive thing. It's a very expensive thing. It's about one year's worth of wages that she's brought in. And she, the other, the other gospels tell us that she actually breaks that box. And in verse 38, we saw that she begins washing his feet with her tears. She's anointing Jesus Christ with this ointment. Okay, so you got the scene there? There's a lot going on here. It's kind of crazy. This is not an everyday occurrence. Okay. Now verse 39. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself saying, this man, he's talking about Jesus. This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. Again, here's the, here's the description of this woman. For she is a sinner. They really don't like this woman. Yeah. She doesn't belong here. Okay? Look how Jesus responds. And he responds with a parable that I might add is one of the most interesting parables to me because it's so short. 
Jesus doesn't always give every detail in his parables, but sometimes he'll give a background, right? He'll give some context. He'll explain maybe why things are happening. You know, there was a, there was a master. He'd go into a far country. He has his servants. He kind of sets the scene. There's no setting of the scene here. He kind of jumps right into it. So let's read it together. Verse 40. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. This is the Pharisee, right? And the Pharisee responds, and he saith, Master, say on. Here's the parable. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Boom, that's it. That's the parable. We don't know any names. We don't know. There's a creditor, had two debtors. The one owed this much, the other owed that much. Do we know why they owed it? No. He forgave them. Do we know why he forgave them? No. Talk about getting straight to the point. He gives this parable, but then he finishes with this. Now here's the question. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? We're going to come back to this question in a bit. Verse 43. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, excuse me, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Verse 47, this is what I want us to really pay attention to. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she hath loved, or for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Let me read that, that last part again. So, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Let me tell you why this passage really baffled me, confused me. Because verse 44 down to verse 46, it seems like Christ is comparing the actions of this woman, this sinner, Mary, with this Pharisee, Simon. Does that kind of seem strange to you? Because I thought we weren't supposed to be comparing who's doing what and who's better than who. Are, are, are you with me? Right? This, a, this is not my savior. Why is Jesus Christ doing this? He's saying, hey, Simon, look what you didn't do. Look what she did do. Like how awesome she is. Look how terrible you are. That's kind of what I got. That doesn't sound like my Jesus. Because when you do that, what does that cause? When you're comparing people, and, and you know, as a parent, we have to be very careful about not doing this, right? You don't want to, oh, why are you not like so-and-so? That's what we're preaching against. What does that cause? That kind of comparison, it causes guilt, causes shame, causes a feeling of worthlessness. And then maybe if you're on the, the better end, then you start feeling pride. Oh, well, I am better than so-and-so. I'm more faithful to church, to church than so-and-so. I give more than so-and-so. I pray more. I read the Bible. I know more about the Bible than so-and-so. Both are wrong. But doesn't this seem like what Christ is causing here? This is why I'm baffled. But man, verse 47 makes all the difference. We're going to get back into it. Okay? Let me start off with my first point here. And that's this. Let's look at the parable again. The first thing we see here in the parable is there's a debt. I'm going to start off simple. There's a debt. 
people owed something in this parable. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. Now we know nothing about these guys, but we know that there were two of them and they each owed something different. The one owes what the Bible says, 500 pence, the other owes 50. Now what's a pence? Okay, here's a little bit of biblical context here, okay? Biblical culture. Pence was equal to something called a denarius. And a denarius was, the, was, was worth one day's wages, okay? So you could look at it like this. One guy owed 500 days worth of wages. The other guy owed 50 days worth of wages. So you're owing, so 500 days, that's almost two years. Imagine owing almost two years of wages. The other guy owed almost about two months worth of wages, 50 days, okay? Now, I don't know about you, but I'd much rather owe 50 than 500. We see a debt here. They've got a difference. But you know what I see here about the debt? It said it didn't matter how much one guy owed over the other. At the end of the day, in verse 42, it tells us, and when they had nothing to pay. You see, the first thing about this debt is it was unpayable. It was unpayable. I don't care if I owe you five million or five thousand. If I've only got five bucks in my pocket, I'm not paying you. I can't. Right? You might as well make it five million because with five bucks, I'm not paying you five hundred if I wanted to. That's all I got. I can't pay it. That's what the Bible says here. And when they had nothing to pay. You know, this is a perfect illustration. I believe that's what Jesus, this where Jesus is going here. Look, at the end of the day, everybody's got a debt. Everybody's got a sin debt. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, we owe everything. And you know what? From a human standpoint, you know what we like to try to do? Yeah, well, I only owe 50. That guy owes 500. He's a way worse sinner than I am. But it doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, not a single person can pay off their debt. There's only one can pay the debt. That's Jesus Christ. Only one. There's tons of people all over the world, millions, billions, I would say, of people who try to pay off this debt on their own. Why do you think they pray five times a day? Why do you think they abstain from certain foods? Why do you think they spend hours and hours learning to recite and remember what they consider is their holy book? They'll do all sorts of things that, that from a human standpoint would put us to shame in terms of their adherence and their commitment to their religion, but they cannot pay it off. It's unpayable. And when they had nothing to pay. It's unpayable. And friend, if you're here today, you've not accepted Christ as your savior. If you've never asked him to pay off your debt, I'm sorry to tell you, you can't pay it off on your own. I can't pay it off on my own. But the good news is this, and this is where it comes to next. Not only was the debt unpayable, it was forgiven. Look what happens here. Verse 42. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly, you know what that means? Frankly means immediately, completely, forgave them both. You know what I'm so thankful? When I, as a nine-year-old, when I accepted Christ as my Savior, God didn't go, oh, you owe 50 pence? How about we just write off half of it? You just have to pay 25. Or you know what? You can't pay? How about we pay it off in installments then? Forget looking at it as 500 or 50, whatever figure you want to use. Let's not look at it all at once. How about you pay me off in installments? Interest-free. No. Completely, frankly. You know what that means? As a child of God, I don't have any debt anymore. It's been paid off. 
you know, people nowadays, when they go debt-free, there's a celebration, right? And rightfully so. You pay off your house, you pay off your student loans, man, that feeling of freedom, that relief, it's just off your shoulders. You celebrate. It's amazing. When you get saved, that sin debt's gone. Never to come back again. You know, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you don't have to wonder, oh, do I still have to keep paying that? Is there any residual debt? No. He frankly forgave them both. This debt's unpayable, but it's also forgiven. Now, I can leave that message right there and that'd be enough. But Christ doesn't end there. Now he, he switches gears here, you see? Because now he's not going to talk about the debt anymore. He's going to look at the response. Because look, continue with me in verse 42. Last sentence, this question of verse 42. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? This creditor, this guy who lent the money. He's the one that could, he has every right. Come on, pay that debt. No, he forgives him. Now he's asking, okay, those guys that have been forgiven, who's going to love him more? And Simon, the Pharisee, he answers correctly. He says, well, of course, the guy who, you, who was forgiven more, he's going to love more. It's pretty good logic there, Simon. I'm with you. And Jesus says, thou hast rightly judged. Now he goes into what we think is this comparison, right? That we have a hard time understanding, that I have a hard time understanding. He goes into all these, okay, you see this woman? I came to your house. You didn't do this. She did this. You didn't do this. She did this. Sounds like Jesus is trying to make Simon feel guilty. He's comparing stuff. Whoa. Let me point out two things real quick. Let's look at what he was thinking, Simon, back in verse 39. You have to understand where he's coming from. Now, what's amazing to me, and again, it just proves Christ's deity as God, okay? Verse 39, now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it and spake within himself. That means Simon didn't say this out loud. He's thinking it. Yeah. But Christ knows. Because right. he's God. He knows. Look what Simon says. This man, if he were a prophet, he's talking about Jesus, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. For she is a sinner. Can you hear the disgust in his voice? As a Pharisee, with all their laws of cleanliness, how many times they washed and bathed and all this kind of stuff they did throughout the day, he sees this woman who's known as a sinner throughout the city. That's what the Bible tells us. He's in his house, so he's already feeling disgusted at that, I can imagine. Why is she in my house? Who let her in here? But now not only is she in here, she's touching Jesus. She's washing his feet. She's breaking open this box and, and, and putting this ointment on him. She's anointing him with it. Ugh. Hear the disgust in his voice? So you know what Christ is doing? He's not comparing and trying to make Simon feel bad. He's trying to get Simon to check his own heart. Why is this woman doing this? And why are you not doing it? Not, oh, she's doing this and you're not. Look how terrible you are, Simon. Because I'm going to be honest with you. This is what people miss when they read this passage. Simon invited Jesus to his house in broad daylight. How many other Pharisees were doing that? Before we get too hard on, on Simon, Simon was doing something that would have put his own reputation and maybe even his life at risk. This is only a few weeks before the Passover, by the way. This is when at the height of the hate of the Pharisees towards Jesus. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to arrest him. And Simon's doing this. I would say, if I was Simon, I don't know if I'd go as far as to do that. To me, I'm impressed that Simon. 
So before we judge him and think that he's just a, you know, a dirtbag for thinking this about Mary, let's remember he's doing something good here too. I believe he loves the Lord and that's why Jesus is asking that question. In the parable, it's not one guy loved the Lord and one guy didn't. One guy loved the creditor and one guy didn't. It's who loves him more? Who loves him more? Mary loved Christ, that's clear. So did Simon. So the question is, why does Simon not love Christ as much as Mary does? This is not a comparison for guilt. This is a pointing out of the facts to check Simon's heart and to make Simon truly consider, why, why don't I do that? And this is what God used for me. I thought this woman who comes in with her mangled leg coming faithful to church, why am I not faithful like that? Not so I beat myself down and I'm like, well, I just got to love God more and look better just like her. No, that's not the point. Because we're going to see here in verse 47, it's the answer to everything here. Verse 47, wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same love of little. This is where I'm continuing to be confused. Because when Christ says that last part of verse 47, this is what I ask. So is it possible? That there are Christians that are forgiven much and others that are forgiven little? Right? Christ is saying here, but to whom little is forgiven, the same love with little. Well, I grew up in a Christian home. I told some of you before, uh, earlier this morning about that. I grew up in a Christian home. I've never killed a person. I've never committed any egregious, terrible, wicked, wicked, wicked sin from a human standpoint. I thank God for that. So when I got saved, did Christ just go, oh, you know, here's a, here's a little cup of forgiveness. Here you go. So just a drop of my blood's going to cleanse you. Yeah. But then there are other people that have sinned a lot more than me. Oh, yeah. And when God looks at them, he goes, oh, man, I'm going to bring out the bucket of forgiveness. Come on. Boom. Is that what happens? Right? Because that's what I feel Christ is implying. Well, just quickly, three lessons that's, that are being taught here and, 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 and will be done. I believe the first thing Christ is trying to teach Simon here is that how much we serve is directly correlated to how much we love. How much we serve is directly correlated to how much we love. That's what verse 44 to 46, that whole comparison thing, he's talking about, look, you didn't do this. Simon, I came here. You didn't do this, but she did. I'm trying to show you, Simon, that you're looking down on her and thinking she's disgusting. No, you know what this is? It's because she loves me. Don't look at her as, oh, you're some sinner. You're disgusting. What are you doing? No, this is a woman who truly loves me. She's doing this because of love. It's because her sins are forgiven. She's been forgiven much. Hence the parable. Who would love the creditor more? Well, he even said in his own self, Simon replied, well, of course, the one that's forgiven more. Makes sense, right? Well, Mary, because she's been forgiven more, she loves a lot. Because she loves a lot, that's what drives her to do something that we would consider insanity. Who spends a whole year's worth of wages in one second like that? Boom, just for Jesus Christ. Who does that? Who goes to a mission field and leaves their family behind and goes and does that? It's insane. Who leaves their, the comfort of their home in the States and comes to Canada and plants a church in one of the most progressive cities where it's difficult? There's a lot of adversity. Who does that? It's kind of insane, right? 
There has to be some love there. Got to love your Savior enough. That's what's going to cause you to do that, to do something that the rest of the world, and by the way, in the other Gospels, we'll see the disciples and the rest of the guests that were there, man, did they judge and criticize Mary. This could have been sold and used, take that money and used to give to the poor. They, the Bible says even in Matthew, they rose up in indignation. They were, they were genuinely upset at her. Get this woman out of here. She's, she's ruining our, our dinner. She's ruining this party that we've got. She's ruining the vibe. Get her out. And Simon's thinking, what? See the disgust, but you know what? Jesus is saying, no, no, no. She's doing this. You know why? She's willing to go to these lengths to serve me. Because she loves me that much. How we serve is directly correlated to how much we love. And the second lesson is how much we love. Now get this. How much we love is determined by how much we believe we've been forgiven. When I first was preparing this message, I would always put how much we love is determined by how much we've been forgiven. Why would I put the word believe in there? Why, why, why would I do that? Well, that changes the whole not necessarily the meaning, but the, our approach to this passage. Because again, I'm asking the question, Christ, is it possible for there to be people who are forgiven a lot and then forgiven a little? Huh. That, I mean, are there people that are just better? So yeah, a little forgiveness, but then people are oh, wicked, terrible. They need a lot of forgiveness. There's that question. But you know what? How much we love is determined by how much we've been forgiven. And you know what? When we don't understand something in the Bible, let me tell you right now, I'm sure Pastor Corey said this before, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So let's go to another verse. James chapter 2, verse 10. James chapter 2, verse 10. This to me clears up everything. Clears up absolutely everything. Because James in chapter 2, verse 10, he says this. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. He's guilty of all. You see, Simon's a Pharisee. Right there, right then and there, we know that, you know what? He's a pretty moral guy, at least from the outside. He's very, very faithful in all his little, the little sacrifices they did, the, the tithes and the offerings. They would, they would divide a tenth of even the spices that they used. They were so obedient down to the smallest, tiniest thing because they were so religious, so religious. And yet, here he's, he's the object of, you know what? Someone else is loving Christ more than I am. Hmm. When you go to James chapter 2, verse 10, you read that verse, you realize this. You know what the truth is? It's that no one's really forgiven little. Yeah, it's true. We've all been forgiven much. Amen. We've all been forgiven much. Simon the Pharisee, he's, he's mentioned, if you read through all the Gospels, you'll see the same instance happening of, and it's recorded in all the Gospels, where this woman comes in and anoints Jesus with this ointment. And you'll see that in other places, they talk about Jesus was at the house of Simon the leper. And a lot of Bible scholars believe this guy, yeah, he was a Pharisee, but there was a time when he had leprosy. Which meant that at one time in his life, you can imagine from being at the height of society, if you were a Pharisee, you were respected. 
because you look the part. I mean, these are the most godliest guys you could possibly meet. But then he had leprosy. He went from the highest rung on the ladder to the very bottom, an outcast, not being able to go near anybody, having to live outside the city walls. And anytime somebody came near, he had to scream, unclean, unclean, according to Jewish culture. But the fact that he was there clearly tells us he didn't have leprosy anymore. So he would have been healed. You know what that tells us? He'd experienced the goodness of God in his life before. And that explains why he would be so brave as to invite Jesus to his house for dinner. But you know what? Although you're a Pharisee and you're on top of the mountain in terms of spirituality, or you're this woman throughout the city that's known as a sinner, you've both been forgiven much. Because it doesn't matter if you try to keep the whole law. If you mess up in one point, which the Bible says we all have, there is none righteous, no, not one. I'm guilty of the entire law. You know what that means? That means I don't just owe 50 pence. I owe it all. I'm, I owe the 500. There's, there's really, in reality, there's no 50 pence guy. There's no, oh, I just owe a little bit. When, when I got saved, Christ just had to drip a little bit of forgiveness. No. doesn't matter from a human standpoint. You say, oh, I'm better than so-and-so. I sin more. No. In God's eyes, from his perspective, we all owe a ton. A lot. And when you got saved, you were forgiven much. You're forgiven much. The Bible says here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, you can write that down for sake of time. We won't go there. But Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, what's the extent of that? What's the depth of that? He says right after, according to the riches of his grace. So the forgiveness of our sins is according, in measure to, the riches of God's grace, that's a lot of forgiveness. That's not this little smidge. It's not a, oh, okay, yeah, here's some forgiveness. That's, you, were, you were good. You grew up in church. You attended faithfully. Your parents are Christian. Your lineage is Christian, whatever. You started memorizing Bible verses from an early age. It doesn't matter. I've been forgiven much because I'm guilty of the whole law. I'm guilty of it all. I'm the sinner not the Pharisee. We all are. So then it begs the question, if I've sinned much and I've got a huge debt, then I've been forgiven much. And it only makes sense that if I've been forgiven much, then I should love much. That's a natural reaction. And if I love much, I'm going to serve much. I'm going to serve much. But you know what it all comes down to? Is that unfortunately as Christians, we forget that we've been forgiven much. We forget to what extent. Because on any day of the week, if you come to me and you ask me, Brother Bowie, are you forgiven? I'll tell you, yeah, I'm forgiven. But sometimes we like to tell ourselves that, yeah, I've been forgiven, but not that much. Sure, Christ forgave me, but not that much. And when we draw a line in the sand and we say, God, I just can't do this thing for you. I know you're asking me to do this. Maybe you're calling me to missions. Maybe you're calling me to do something else. Maybe you're calling me to be more involved in ministry. Whatever it is, I don't know what God's doing in your heart. But if he's doing something and we draw lines in the sand, which I'll be completely transparent with you. I've done myself in the past. God, I can't go there. You know why I draw a line in the sand? It's because I've forgotten how much I've been forgiven. 
Because when we realize how much it cost Christ to forgive us, and I'm going to come back to this in a bit, how much it cost him, how much he's forgiven us, we can't help but love him much. And when we truly love him much, we'll do whatever he asks of us, even if it seems ridiculous to everybody else around us. We won't care what people think about us. You don't think, you don't think Mary, maybe it crossed her mind, I, a Pharisee's house? I've never been in a Pharisee's house before. What are people going to think of me? And even though Simon said what he said in his heart, guess what? Judas and the other uh, gospels we see, he said out loud, why did this woman do this? She could have sold this and she could have given it to the poor. She's being criticized as she's doing this. I feel like she knew she would, but she did it anyways. You know why? She didn't care what people thought about her because she loved much. Why would you love much? Because I've been forgiven much. I've been forgiven much. Hmm. If you've trusted Christ as your savior, you've been forgiven much. Colossians chapter two, verse 13 and 14. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, brought alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, which was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Why did I take the time to talk about that debt? Because someone who is debt free is excited. He's full of joy. And he's full of love and gratitude to the one who forgave him that debt. He's full of love and gratitude to the one who forgave him that debt. So the point of this short parable that we saw with the forgiveness is not really how much you've been forgiven, but your perception or your perspective on how much you've been forgiven. Because we can all agree we've been forgiven. But how much have you been forgiven? How much? And I know we would never probably say out loud, yeah, I've been forgiven a little. I know I'm, I'm being, I'm being, you know, I'm joking. I'm being facetious when I go, oh, I've just been, you know, I'm trying to play that part up. We would never say that. But unfortunately, by our actions, I say our because I include myself. By our actions, sometimes we say, God, you know, I haven't been forgiven much because that's where it comes back to. When I was telling the Lord, God, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm done. You know what I was doing? I was forgetting the fact that I've been forgetting, forgiven much. I was forgetting the fact that, you know what? God's done so much for me, more than I'll ever be able to pay back, and he doesn't ask me to pay it back. He just wants me to follow him. Before you think this is one of those messages designed to guilt trip you, please let me stop you right there. Because that's not our savior. That's not what he's trying to do here. He's not trying to guilt trip Simon into, come on, Simon, you got to love more. That's not the point. Because again, we've established guilt, fear, intimidation. Those are terrible motivators. Christ is trying to remind Simon, Simon, you know how much I love you? You know how much I've done for you? You've been forgiven a lot there, Simon. But to him, that's forgiven little. If you, if you think you've been forgiven little, You're just going to love a little. That just makes sense. That just makes sense. So let me ask you, do you realize to what extent you've been forgiven? Does it blow your mind how much you've been forgiven? 
Does it amaze you when you realize how much Christ loves you and how much he's done for you? Because someone who is forgiven much loves much and someone who's forgiven little loves little. I think of these incredible missionaries and I've, I just I enjoy reading their biographies. You might not know all of these missionaries and that's okay. But as I read these biographies, some of these missionaries do things that I'm just like, wow, how in the world did you make that sacrifice? I'm talking about giving up inheritances that would have had them set up for life, giving up careers, prestigious careers, giving up a family, giving up health, giving up so many things so that they could serve the Lord. And I wonder how in the world could they do that? Well, here are just some quotes from some of them. There's a missionary CT stud. If you're ever able to, to, to read about his life, I would encourage you to do that. But he said this, after making a ton of sacrifices and people questioning if he was even sane for some of the sacrifices that he made, he said this, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, no sacrifice is too great for me to make for him. How could he do what he did? Because he realized I'm forgiven much. God's died for me. You know, earlier we sang Come Thou Fountain. I love that. You know, you know that, let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Mm-hmm. You know what a fetter is? It's an old English word for a shackle. Handcuffs, basically. A chain. What's supposed to chain me to God? Your, your judgment? Your, all the gifts you give me? Well, yeah. It's his goodness. Mm-hmm. Let thy goodness like a fetter. Why do we stay chained to God? It's his goodness. It's how much he's done for us that causes me to want to serve him. Amy Carmichael, missionary to India, said this, when I consider the cross of Christ, how can anything that I do be called a sacrifice? Adoniram Judson, another great story. He translated the Bible into the Burmese language. After translating it all, and back in the day, they didn't have special tools. They didn't have laptops. Or, he's doing it all by hand. Just right after he finishes the whole translation of the Bible, his tent catches on fire and it all disappears. Can you imagine that? You know what he did? He went right back and retranslated it all again. I don't know about you. I would have given up. I was like, Lord, I'm done. I did it. You let the fire happen. I'm done. He did it a second time. You know what he said? If I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy... I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. What kept him going? Love. You know what else the Apostle Paul said? The love of Christ constrains me. That's what motivates me. Because I love Christ. Isaac Watts, you know, I'm sure many of you have heard, when I survey the wondrous cross, he wrote this, see from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown. What's he doing? He's remembering what Christ did for him, right? So what's your, what's your reaction? What's our response to that? Were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, he's viewing Christ on the cross, demands my soul, my life, my all. You see, when, when, when pastor preaches, as I'm preaching now, when Christ calls to you, he's not just saying, hey, just give me everything doesn't do that he says you want to see how much i've done for you he took the first step the bible says we love him why because he first loved us 
See, if we just try to manufacture this kind of fake love, that's what religion wants to do. Hey, let's, let's, let's get all emotional. Let's all get hyped up. Let's go do something. No, it's true Christianity is realizing how much Christ has already done for us. Yeah. And it's a natural response. It's an automatic reaction to seeing how much Christ has done for you and saying, you know what? I can't help but love him back. I can't help but love him back. He's done so much for me. He's just done too much for me. In finishing, I'm going to finish with this quote. So after I talked with that woman who had that mangled leg, I come back, as I said, to the missionary, and I'm talking with him. And he can see that I'm kind of like, like, wow, I'm just letting it sink in. I was like, how do you love Christ that much? I want that. And I look over at him, and I was like, do you know what she said? He's like, what? I said, I asked her what her motivation is for coming here, and she just said, because I love him. And he kind of chuckled and he looks at me. And I don't even think he realized how profound his statement, his quote would be, because he literally just said it in conversation. He said, you know, it's not that difficult to give your life to Christ when you realize how much it cost him to redeem it. And it hit me. It's not that difficult to give your life to Christ when you realize how much it cost him to redeem it. It cost him everything. You know, we're talking about God's name, El Elyon, the Most High. You realize Christ left the highest rung on the ladder. He's the Most High, and he lowered himself. It's not like he was kind of in the mids, and then he, eh, let's just go down a couple rungs. He was the Most High. There's nothing higher than him, and he lowered himself to the lowest position possible for me, for you. He had everything, possessor of heaven and earth. The whole universe. And yet, for our sakes, he became poor. That we through his poverty might be rich. He paid off our debt. And I don't know about you, but if that's not worth it, if that's not enough for me to love him, I don't know what is. Have you been forgiven much? Yes. Then do you love much? And if you love much, do you serve much? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for meeting with us today and for allowing us to open your word. Lord, we love you. And again, we don't love you as much as we should. So we ask you to.